I'm Lauren. I'm Tia. And this is The Journey to Transformation. It occurred to us that we really didn't talk a lot about what happened with the coronation in the UK. I mean, we were a bit preoccupied with your tough mother, to be fair. Um, <laughs> super important. I mean, congrats. For those of you who haven't heard, I did a tough mother, 15K. Yeah. Do you want to spend 20 minutes just, I can just deep breathe that again. <laughs> Moving on. I think like the coronation took over a lot of people's discussions over the weekend, but from two perspectives, right? One from celebrating the royal family and having a real celebration. And then the other side of that coin was... Annihilation. <laughs> Well, the protests. Mm. I think there's some really important things to unpack there and, and discuss a bit more. It does feel a shocking omission that we didn't talk more about this. Yeah. But I mean, we're correcting it, listeners. So shut the fuck up and listen. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And I think it's really important to reflect on how this has kind of escalated and how the conversation has also continued. You know, the coronation happened, which was like this massive show of wealth, of opulence, of pomp, of like just unbelievable believable amounts of fanciness define pomp yeah <laughs> i don't know when i think of the word pomp i just think of a lot of like um poshness <laughs> okay we may need to look up that definition all right the drones were cool when was that on this on the i don't know concert? I do, I do, yeah i just saw saw a, a recap of it yesterday or something it was drones that were making shapes together like yeah. two thousand drones or something that's so cool they did that in, like cool. um, new year's as well it's so cool yeah and for the nhs they did like a big one for the nhs oh, cool um was it somebody coughing in their face and then screaming at them because they don't want to put their mask on <laughs> no. was that it i love how suddenly we love the nhs when actually a lot of you fuckers were dickheads to them when they were like uh please put your mask on yeah so but anyways so whatever true. revisionist history cool 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 <laughs> so i watched the um coronation and i watched it because i was just curious you don't have to justify why you well i want to monarchist um <laughs> I was just, I was curious, like this felt like something I wanted to watch also to be able to talk about what I saw. And I saw something on Twitter and I felt this way as well. On TV, you're watching this Cinderella-like carriage covered in gold and whatever, leaves coming off it, curly wheels, horses, and it looks like something out of a fairy tale. And then this person was like, and then I looked out the window and someone was getting a delivery delivered next door. Like, how do these two things exist in the same world? And that's how I felt. I was watching it and being like, this feels weird. It doesn't feel right. There was something about it that felt really odd and not right. And there was another picture that was going around where if you looked from an aerial view down at the carriage, you could see that there were potholes that had been filled in with like sandbags that it was going over. Talk about a bit of irony and a bit of where we are. That was a really interesting picture that took over Twitter. Yes, Sadiq. Right. Well, so like... Fix yeah. the fucking potholes. I cycle and run every day. I'm sick of nearly breaking my neck. Why not just sell one of those wheels <laughs> carriage that'll cover it surely i don't know like that that carriage was so yeah so much money who's um, gonna buy the, worth the wheel of a carriage <laughs> melt it down okay <laughs> melt the gold sell it it just felt really odd to me and there were times when i felt a bit like i wanted to vomit if i'm honest and you're touching on something that is a kind of centerpiece of some of the discussions around the protests right so that's what we're talking about today the right to protest as a jumping off point, we're talking about the coronation, but obviously we've got issues around protests all over the world. In America, where I sadly hail from, we've got lots of protests there. One of the things you're touching on is one of the grievances of some of these groups who are protesting, right? Like we're in a financial crisis, like mm -hmm. people are having a really fucking hard time living 
So in the context of that, is it appropriate to have a big party? You know, even if you want to rely on the argument of like, well, you know, this boosts the economy by having this big celebration. I'd be interested to know how much it boosted the economy relative to how much was spent. And actually, do I care that the economy is boosted overall if I don't actually feel that benefit? Yeah. And I think that's the thing. It's like, what does the individual feel as a benefit of the royal family? Like, how do you know that they're connected, I suppose? If you need an evaluation. (laughs) Yeah, we'll uh, figure out the impact of the coronation. We'll do a contribution and attribution exercise. (laughs) Yeah, that could be one way of doing it. Let's just talk about the right in and of itself to protest. The right to protest is actually in the Human Rights Act, which I'm not sure I was 100% aware of. The Human Rights Act 1998 sets out the fundamental rights and freedoms that everyone in the UK is entitled to and incorporates rights set out in the European Convention on Human Rights. So I think that the the right to process is like enshrined in law. Yes. um, Essentially. Although, do we even follow the European Convention on Human Rights anymore in the UK? Well, even if you don't, you should be following the Human Rights Act of 1998, which is yours. Yeah, no, no, no. Only 1998. What were people doing before then? Yeah, they were probably just fucking dicking around, didn't they? Um, I'm like, wait, did human rights not exist before then? No, no. (laughs) So in terms of like the right to protest and like why it's healthy for democratic societies, right? This is a pretty essential component because this is what allows us to share our opinions, to demand change, to hold people to account. Like without these things is a huge fucking problem in the way that society is governed. There's a few key features around right to protest. One of them you're touching on a little bit here, which is freedom of speech and expression. So in terms of the Human Rights Act of 1998 is Article 10. So freedom of speech and expression. And this is, you know, this is a fundamental piece, right? Because this is what allows individuals to express their views. We are allowed to say what we want, though there are limitations to that, right? So like, I can't go and start screaming fire, bombs, whatever. I can't say anything that's going to like inflame people to the point, like incite violence or seditious acts. I'm looking at you proud boys in America. (laughs) How do you know though that it's not going to incite violence? I think if you're trying to incite violence, you know it will, right? Mm. Like I I don't know. I can't imagine that the Dalai Lama is like, (laughs) oh, I'm a bit worried that when I clang my bells, the people will start freaking out. Yeah, fair enough. I think you're trying to do it. It's touched on a bit here about the dialogue and like dissent piece. Like it's about coming together as well. I think like this kind of collective action and that protesting coming together as like a group of people also has a lot of power to it. You know, you can obviously protest on your own like anyone can protest about whatever they want but like also the power of coming together so many people I don't know if we're going to come to this we're talking about like the marches in London that go on for miles and miles you know yeah and streets are closed you know you can't access certain things takes over the city I, I do think there's a component of this when we talk about like freedom of speech violations of freedom of speech are ones that the government imposes upon you so okay. if the government tries to keep you quiet you couldn't tell me like I'm violating your freedom of speech when I tell you to shut up when you say stupid things. Okay, could you expand? Not you, but one. Yeah, um, (laughs) could you expand a little bit more on that? In terms of like Article 10 of the Human Rights Act, it's not like 
if your neighbor tells you to be quiet because you're making too much noise, right? It's when you are silenced by an arm of the government. Oh, wow. Right. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I do. So it's not if you're silenced by another protest group who's against you, not against you, but it has opposing views. It's got to be the state, an implementer of state function. So if you're in a movie theater and somebody tells you to shh and turn your phone off, that's not a freedom of expression violation, right? <laughs> like it's, gover- it's the government to the people. Right. So this is like a state citizen contract rather than citizen to citizen. I only raise that because I'm finding it hard to think of scenarios where like the government is like, hey, shut up. I see the government intervening on something that has scale. Right. So when the protests are much bigger and then they've got the kind of police role in that sort of it's more like when you said an individual can protest right which an individual can but i don't imagine that we'd see like a clamp down on a single individual in this context what if they but you would see it in iran i'm looking at you iran there are limitations to that so you can't incite violence you can't Mm -hmm. like inflame people you can't put people at risk with what you're going to say and then the next one as a key kind of component of the right to protest is the right to assemble and associate. Um, these rights enable people to come together, form groups and work towards common goals, including advocating for change, which I think feeds into a lot of our work, right? And I think the protesting and collective action piece is often that kind of set of activities that you're trying to influence a policymaker or you're trying to put pressure on something to change. And that's often what we evaluate and look at. And, you know, you'll see, for example, the Amnesty International groups at these protests with their placards or whatever. And I think also we should bear in mind that sometimes the protests we've seen can be small and creative ways of doing a protest. So I'm citing quite a lot of the kind of bigger protests, but I've also seen, for example... Dirty um, protest. Huh? You know, I've also seen, for example, Just Stop Oil, like throw paint at the shell um office and stand and lock themselves out front or when was extinction rebellion my friend actually tied herself to a boat in the middle of oxford street you know so these also was it lost was what lost why was there a boat on a street yeah, it was like a big kind of wooden boat. Shouldn't it be on the water? That's my point. <laughs> I don't know where it came from, actually, or if it was there anyway. I can't remember. Okay. But yeah, it's, it's, this is what I mean. Like, there's also a creativity in how you might protest or um, come together as a group to put forward your advocacy for change. Yeah, I uh, cycle into work most days. And um, when I was going in the Just Stop Oil crew was just stopping a lot of vehicles. Oh, what were they doing? They just had a big sign, a big big banner, and they were just standing in front of whatever car they managed to get in front of. Uh, And I have seen. (laughs) And it backed up. It it backed up for at least two miles. Wow. Because I remember being like, this is a lot of congestion. What's happening? And I have actually, yeah, I've seen um, videos of like the reaction (laughs) of people. You know, you can imagine people in their cars having to like wait, getting really, really irate, going up and trying to like drag stuff off people. And yeah, it can be a bit dangerous. um, And I think, I mean, this one, there were like police officers and stuff around them, I think, just trying to keep everything a bit chill because people just get road ragey in spite of the fact that british people on the whole will like proclaim how good they are at standing in lines like you you guys are fucking terrible when it comes to traffic yeah and impatient yeah Um, so i don't understand why you can stand in a line but you can't sit in your car in a line 
like you don't <laughs> have wait. you don't have adaptable skill sets <laughs> um yeah it's true that's funny i don't know if this classified as a protest greenpeace did one where rishi sunak got like a new system in for his pool or he got a new pool built in his backyard or something to that effect right um a heater i think greenpeace did a video where they invited lots of people to go to his house and like everyone was dressed up in like beach wear and swimwear and had yeah. like lilos or whatever and like queued up outside his house yeah. in protest to this and um, i just thought it was quite clever i don't understand british life you could never get that close to joe biden's house <laughs> you know because you did send me the video and they were literally right out front like i just cannot imagine you'd ever be able to get that close to joe biden's house i also think like rishi sunak is a billionaire so he's probably got too many houses for the british version of the secret service to like watch out for so yeah i think you're right yeah so article 11 of the human rights act codifies in this case greenpeace's right to assemble and associate like they are allowed to do that allowed to get together i think there are probably some limitations that are attached to that right like you can't start making molotov cocktails and shit like that yeah no that's true amnesty international did do a small protest outside the cambodian government with a digger once the cause was for a human rights defender who was working on land and housing issues in cambodia yes so they sent a big digger which was quite cool yeah i mean one way to draw attention there you go and it actually resulted in them the embassy writing to the the government about it so you know sometimes creative protesting is is a win yeah the right to protest is a very powerful vehicle for social change which you talked about before and they've played massive roles in advocating for social political and economic change and it's a fucking critical component of a democratic society that different groups of people can come together and let people know that they're really fucking pissed off about something yeah absolutely and we've seen actually quite a lot of protests in the uk around with the pay rises as well or with teachers and nurses lately their protests have been going on for a while yeah teachers are always going to strike there's a lot of collective action so there's the two things there because you're talking about collective action so you're talking about strikes mm-hmm. and then you're also talking about protests so they've got Sorry, a two-pronged yeah. yeah speaking of cambodia i remember when the waste disposal companies and individuals went on strike in the hot Cambodian sun. You don't have a way to get rid of that garbage. Oh, that sounds tough. It didn't last very long. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> when you've got the power. Um, but, so my question is, so sorry, just for clarification, a strike is like, you know, the people decide to stop working. Yeah. They're probably in a union of some sort, but then they may choose to protest. I think they come together. Okay. So it's not like they're two distinct things. It's like... They are two distinct things, but I think you often see them together, right? I don't know. Whenever I see people striking, there is always an accompanying protest. Yes. Yeah. Because that's what they're doing with their strike day. That's what they're doing with their days off. (laughs) Just kidding. I know it's not. What always warms my heart, and I wish I did this more, is when I see people going to the front line of the strike, or um, I think they call it picket line, with coffee, with food, with things that they might need for the time that they're there. Like that I find really heartwarming. Yeah, there's some criticisms though around the protest, which Um, I am in agreement with some of these. Yeah. So some of them are public safety concerns. I'm not necessarily saying that violence accompanies them, but there are some violent actors in the world who kind of jump into protests as an opportunity to damage property or disrupt public order or whatever. Yeah. 
I don't know. I feel of two minds on this, right? Because like in the context of the States, there was a whole argument of somebody or a group of people, I don't know, burnt down a tire shop or something like that. And some of the criticism around that was, you know, that shop didn't do anything. Why would you impact people's business in that way? But then there's a kind of counter argument of like that property damage pales in significance to like the historical damage for different groups of people. So like, shut up. That's an interesting side by side. But also it's not like the people who owned that tire shop were doing anything wrong, right? In the instance where the target is a corporation, for example, then I'm a bit like, okay, yeah, fuck the corporate. (laughs) (laughs) But I also kind of feel that the impact on smaller businesses, for example, like if somebody threw a fucking brick through this window, I'd be fucking devastated. No, 100%. It's more likely to be us throwing one out, to be fair. Yeah, true. And but you remind me of a couple of things. I remember when I was in South Africa in 2011, and I remember seeing a newspaper that was like London's burning. I was like, what the fuck is that about? I was in Cambodia when I saw that. Yeah, yeah. and it's like all the newspaper headlines. And I was like, what the fuck? It was, was a student was, or something? No, it was a, Mark Duggan was his name. I don't know if he was a student, but he was shot and killed by police in Tottenham, North London. Okay. And that sparked the largest civil unrest that the UK has ever seen. Oh. And that was a lot of shots being set on fire looting and that then also transpired in like Birmingham Manchester Bristol like it kind of took off in other places as well although looking that up they name it riots Mm. so I, I, I guess like at what point does a protest become a riot and is a riot just a derogatory word for civil unrest I don't know yeah So the one I'm thinking of actually is the one in, this says 2010. So student protest over fees turns violent. Okay. So 50,000 attended the London rally. And this is the one I was thinking about, which had like the horses, like all the police horses, and they were going wild, stomping on people. And And sorry, when was this? 2010? 2010. Gosh, okay. Yeah. An interesting thought though. I think that people use the word riot to give you that nasty feeling Mm, yes but i think looking it up in the way the newspapers why they called it riot was because of the damaged property Mm. that that kind of transpired through all of it you know and that i think in terms of what the media called it at least not saying it's right or wrong is what like led it to being a riot However, more recently, and so I'm shifting a little bit to more recently, we've seen the statue that got pulled down in Bristol, mm. Edward Colston statue that, you know, it is property or whatever, but like got Who's that? Pulled, um, Edward Colston was a dick. A dick, yeah. He was a slave trader. No, a big dick. And in the anti-racism protests, they pulled it down into the river. Yeah, and that's not good for the environment, people. <laughs> okay, but, don't litter. You know, I support that. And I think people that I've seen at Oxford University have also pulled down statues and stuff. I'm calling the police. But that wasn't labelled as a riot, I don't think. Well, I think that intentionally. I think what you're describing is like intentional property damage. Mm, Like to a very specific sort. That statue was the target. Yeah. Sorry, Winston Churchill's statue was also targeted, if you remember. Oh, you can't get that one down. He was quite a girthy person. (laughs) It was defaced. Okay, that's the target of the protest, right? Yeah. Versus the, the protest draws in violent actors who then use it as an opportunity to do wild stuff. But I completely agree with you that the word riot and also the word loot kind of go hand in hand to frame what's happening. I do think that it's very commonly used to frame civil unrest, civil discord, people having legitimate grievances. I do think that it's used to give you a feeling of like, oh, they're 
criminals they're looting and they're stealing yeah. when yes some people are because we live in a world where there's like a lot of fucking people and a good portion are assholes but you're not likely to see well in the protest movements that we're talking about right like i have a whole other conversation about proud boys and those douche nozzles all of these movements that are about drawing attention to groups that need more support because of historical marginalization and abuse. Those aren't the people who are like kicking doors in and like taking people's VCR and VCRs. Whoa. <laughs> All those VCRs being stolen. No wonder no one's got a VCR in their room anymore. And that was yeah. the reason they, they went. Okay, yeah. Tia just went back to 1999. Gosh, yeah, I just went into a time warp. <laughs> you know what I mean? But people will zero in on something like that as an opportunity to like delegitimize yeah. the thing that is drawing people and there. it's like fear, right? Yeah. Um, in the people who are not around or near that protest or don't know what it's about. Yeah. I don't know. I'm of two minds because I do think the whole point of a protest is to disrupt public order. That's the point. Yes. I do think that a bit of property damage is kind of normal and is expected. I think that it needs to be intentional. So mm. if you're going to pull a thing down, pull a thing down. But don't put your boot through the window of a Greg's. Yeah, we love those sausage rolls here. Yeah. You like the vegan sausage rolls, <laughs> I do, I you? love them. <laughs> hey, Greg's, if you're listening. Sponsor um, us. <laughs> Another kind of criticism I would say is that sometimes it's hard to know who the fuck is protesting and for what fucking thing. So mm. the intersection between multiple different groups, which, yes. which is great. More people, the better. But if you've got, for example, teachers and then you've got rail workers and then you've got Black Lives Matter and then you've got postal workers all in the same space, the message is a little bit unclear. So yes, you have the collective power of many people, but to what end, I think, is sometimes yes, that's kind the of question. What, yeah, right. And I am so for these protests and I like love the collective action and being part of it and seeing it happen. But I wonder like the government sees or whoever the kind of change maker is they're trying to target sees this and what, like what happens? Sure. I'm asking as a question of curiosity as opposed to like assuming nothing happens, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Because I think it has to be a combination of things usually that make change. Mm. But I see protest as being a fundamental part of it. You know, you can march for climate change protest, but then probably throw some paint on Shell as well and, you know stop them going into their office i don't know like do something else as well mm. don't litter but don't litter the also the paint gets washed away and goes into the sewers oh they poor rats yeah and crocodiles and frogs and stuff well it'll probably be washed away by the 90 liters of water that's leaking out of my flat <laughs> every hour so let it go lauren there's just a sinkhole <laughs> below you it's fine <laughs> I have a question also about the different cultures around protests. So in the UK, like I've seen less violence, at least in the media, than I have in France, for example. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to make a stereotype, but I've seen, especially more recently in their retirement age protests. So Macron put the retirement age up and everyone, you know, people protested and people were setting fire to restaurants. Old people. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> they're like we gotta work six more years you motherfucker <laughs> lots of violence more violent there than here or well i think it's also the police response as well the tear gas and In the, yeah <laughs> and the water cannons yeah i think that there's a, a more escalation like i don't see it's like america and the civil rights movement that's fucking yeah i don't see tear gas in the uk as what the police use so in my tough mutter there was an obstacle called tear gas 
and you had to go through this little, you had to crawl through this room. It was just Tiger Bomb. Oh, but what about your eyes? Yeah, it burned. It was like aerosolized Tiger Bomb or like deep heat. Yeah, it burned. (laughs) Yeah, burned. Fucking hell. Is there like a disclaimer that's like, if you have bad eyes or like if you, I suppose you have to do it, do you? You just go around. Yeah, fine. I didn't because I'm fucking jacked. Tear gas is commonly used in France in protests including in the Yellow Vest protests in 2018 and 2019. And there's a group of people in France called the Yellow Vests because they wear the Yellow Vests in okay. <laughs> protests. So yeah, I, I just, I guess I'm curious about like how it's like that in France, but not here. Is it because they need different techniques to disperse people because like a lot of their shit is really fucking old and like touristy? There's a lot of architecture that's old and shit. Yeah, there's old stuff in London, eh? Yeah, but maybe not as much. Maybe it's not as robust. <laughs> I'm just worried about things getting damaged. I don't know. I understand some of the criticisms, but ultimately I land on the side of we need to be able to peacefully and not so peacefully assemble because this is unfortunately how people get heard, right? But when we talk, have this conversation about like to what end, it's almost like a informal referendum or something, right? Like you're getting a bunch of people who are sort of voting with their bodies and that show of people is a good indication of public sentiment, right? So when everybody booed Boris Johnson. Yeah, when was that? At the Queen's funeral. Oh, yeah, when he, like, entered to go in or something. Yeah, and we were all like, okay, yeah. Yeah, I remember now, yeah. People are not keen. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, and I think this is a really good point, although I have felt like the distance between the current government and the real sentiment is massive. This is a really good indicator for them of how people feel. Listen to a British scandal on Wondry. They've got a series on Boris Johnson. No way! Oh, that sounds funny. It mostly just talks about how he failed upwards so consistently until he smashed his face. Yeah, so (laughs) when you have a very visible way of people showing their displeasure, it does have an impact. So I do think to the question of to what end, I do think it does move people. But the problem is, is if you've got competing priorities within a single event, I find it sometimes a little bit hard to understand, like, what are you trying to do? Because actually you're sort of diluting the point. If you've got like five different interest groups in the same space, you sort of like water down all of the messages in my mind. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. And I think that's why it's easy to get like broad coalitions around certain things. So for example, the big one, which was the protest, the climate change one, there were loads of different stop oil now, extinction rebellion. There's loads of different groups, but the whole point was about climate change. So like there was a single issue. It was a single issue protest versus one where there's like loads. Everybody's kind of united around the same basic concepts, even if the approaches, even if their specific areas of focus are a little bit different. Yeah. I think there's like um, Insulate Britain as well that does kind of protests for blocking roads and stuff. And they even did one like where they blocked the motorway. I don't know if you recall this, but they blocked the motorway for like a couple of weeks and it caused carnage. Mm, But that's the point, right? So Yeah, absolutely. So King's Coronation Chicken protest. (laughs) King's Coronation Chicken. This is kind of the launching off point, right? This whole conversation. And part of why people are pissed off, one, is protesting the concept of a monarchy. It's really expensive. What you were talking about before, right? In an economic crisis, do we need to have a party? Like, I'm not convinced we do, to be fair. I have heard some people be like, oh, actually it brings people together regardless of what it's for. But there's still a bit of a guise behind it. You could have done it on Zoom. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. You could have done it on Zoom. There is a solidarity piece about bringing people together around a celebration. Everybody's excited, whatever. But it doesn't need to be around one man. 
No, it doesn't need to be around one individual or one family. That's kind of what this is, like a really fucking rich ass family. And that's what people are kind of pissed off about. There's relevance. There's a non-democratically elected state figurehead. But also interestingly, the government has the power to call a referendum on the royal family. What does that mean? They can ask the UK public to vote on whether the royal family should exist or not. Are they going to? No way. Okay. Obviously can't speak for Rishi, but... So anyways, ahead of the King's Coronation Chicken, the UK government introduced the UK Public Order Act. This was a bill that effectively restricted people's fundamental rights to peaceful protest. This was following last year's protest restriction, which was around the Police Crime and Sentencing and Courts Act in 2022. I don't know if you remember that, but everyone was pretty pissed off about that. I do remember people being pissed. Right. So effectively, all of this stuff in combination creates new, vague undefined powers for police and government to clamp down on protest. And mm. to your point before, including by a single individual. What? Yeah. So if a single individual is tied to the front of Shell, they get taken away. Yeah. Okay. What you're describing is called locking on, which we'll talk about in a second. Sorry. There were already kind of powers that existed, right? So before this new public order bill, which happened in the start of May, so like a few days ago. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Gosh. So, so this is part of the criticism is because people were pissed because they fast tracked this ahead of the coronation. Oh, I hadn't appreciated the fast timeline here. Sure. Wow. Okay. So protest. If you're a bit noisy, if you're likely to be a nuisance. A there bit noisy. Yeah. I mean, you're supposed to be noisy, right? Too noisy. And also likely to be a nuisance. <laughs> I mean, the point is to be a nuisance. I, know. I don't know. But also the phrasing is so silly it's and a British. horrible <laughs> phrasing. Oh, you're being such a nuisance. <laughs> yes. The public order legislation. What does it do? More restrictions on people's rights by setting a very low threshold to define disruptive protesting. So I guess that means that disruptive protesting could just be flicking around some flyers at people um other things so giving police significant new powers to prevent protests occurring outside of major transport networks oil and gas and energy supplies this is your shell thing that's convenient <laughs> so the motorways are out <laughs> the they're shell. targeting you <laughs> what even yeah wow that is shocking making locking on a new criminal offense so this is what you're talking about before so attaching yourself to something right that's locking on so I think I mentioned my friend was with Extinction Rebellion and locked herself to a boat in Oxford Street with a bike lock, you know, a hard bike lock around her neck. And it took the police a really long time to get out and they had to like saw through it, you know, and then carry people away. Mm. And you know what I always find really alarming is the way that you see protesters being carried away, you know, because yeah. it's always like, you know, they're being carried by their bodies. And I know that's kind of the point, like they don't want to be taken away, but it's all very like awkward. Yeah, if you don't want somebody to carry you away, Here's a self-defense tip from Tia. Make yourself go limp. It's much harder. Oh, is that what they're doing then? Maybe they're yeah. going limp. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. You don't then, try and help people. You just yeah. let all your body weight. When I used to teach self-defense to like teenagers, so like 19 mm. year olds, so like if somebody's trying to pick you up, just go yeah. limp. Oh, that's really good advice. Yeah. Um, um, another great way to avoid being taken is not, I have some reservations about clipping myself by the neck to something just because they're going to have to take it apart using a power tool, yeah. which is, I don't know. That scares me a lot having something like that around my neck. Yeah. 
I just, I feel like you're just like exposing yourself to too much. But in the States with different environmental direct action stuff, we won't talk about my affiliation with that. But what you'd see are people who make big lock boxes. So what you do is you take a barrel and you'd stick a kind of elbow pipe. So like a plumbing pipe in there. And then you'd fill that barrel with cement. So making it thousands of pounds. So you'd mix wow. the cement there wherever you were. So mix, mix, mix. And now you have this pipe that's sticking out and in the barrel it's got like two holes. So basically what you do is you'd clip onto your wrists like a bracelet that had a carabiner on the end of it. Then you stick your hand inside that elbow pipe and you clip yourself in so the only person who can take yourself out is you wow but it takes some like seriously heavy equipment to deal with these things that are called block boxes it can be anything right but it's effectively like the most common ones are big barrels filled with cement yeah so yeah but they do different tactics to try and get you to unclip yourself right so i've seen people getting stomped on the face people putting pepper spray in people's eyes like all kinds of wild stuff that's horrible that's horrendous yeah i mean we don't want to expose anyone to threat of violence but just saying as an alternative to clipping yourself with a bike lock by the neck just make a big barrel fill it with cement and clip yourself in <laughs> there you go Strap in. First. <laughs> and that was tia's top tips on how to protest successfully so, i don't know if successfully yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is one strategy but i've seen it with others so you can do the same thing with a single pipe like not one that bends but you can do it with other people so if you wanted to chain yourself to other people you would do the same thing in a line so you're clipped to each other but the only people who can unclip are the hands inside mm. so no one could unclip it but yeah. you yeah that's good yeah. and you can't cut into it very easily right because a person's hand is there yeah. so you, it takes a lot of time to cut through them wow so it means you just have to have a real serious conviction when somebody kicks you in the teeth and puts pepper spray in your face <laughs> not to yes. unclip yourself Ooh, yes you've got to really be committed to the cause in that case we don't need to talk about how i know all this stuff so locking on new criminal fence. And this is what happened at Coronation Chicken protest is because the Metropolitan Police thought that the straps that were tying together the protest signs were intended to lock people onto stuff. Okay, so they made an assumption. They saw some tags or something and thought, yeah, they're going to lock on. And then I made the arrest. It's basically like, so look at my, I've got my dry cleaning here. So there's like a little rubber band holding all of these things together. Yeah. In the I... same with these signs, right? There was something holding the signs together because they were being transported. So if you're transporting like 10 signs, you would yeah. tie them together yeah. in some fashion. So the people who arrested them thought that these things were being used for this locking on thing. And that's section two of the Public Order Act. Under the suspicion they were planning to lock onto something to disrupt the procession. There you go. That has its own little section. It's because they don't want people like sticking themselves to yeah, the, in, in a national portrait gallery. <laughs> do it, do it, do um, it. Okay, so then... So then they arrested six protesters anti-monarchy protesters anti-monarchy protesters but then upon review they found zero proof that this is what they were trying to do and all the charges against this group were dropped it's all quite convenient isn't it mm. yeah the new law came in they acted upon an assumption around it you know yeah i think the sentiment among some of the protesters was like they were never going to be allowed to protest and that these sort of sweeping powers and the threshold being much lower meant that anything was a target. And this is where it feels really 
that it's starting to go against your right to protest and your right to freedom of expression because now the threshold is so low it's hard to say what you can and can't do right like now it has become much blurrier as we mentioned earlier for you to feel confident to express your views in protest if someone can just do this yeah although in this instance i think subsequently people have called for like inquests and stuff because the metropolitan police were wrong Mm -hmm. so there are cabinet members who are like hey this is fucked up and i think the liberal party has been asked to comment on this new thing and what it means and this kind of threat to democracy so yeah i mean i think it's really problematic when states start making it unwelcome for their citizens to express their views yeah but now i have a question for you Mm -hmm. does everyone have the right to protest (laughs) does everyone have the right to protest i mean if we're living by the virtues of human rights and equality then yes okay but i feel like you're about to hit me with the bush well i mean you're describing something that's a perspective issue so if i'm a white supremacist who believes in the great replacement theory then i am protesting what i feel is an existential threat to my existence Mm. and therefore my human right. So my question to you, are white supremacists allowed to protest? Oh, I kind of knew you were going to go here having read this, but are white supremacists, this is challenging because it's like two different value streams hit each other. Something that I personally am against and don't believe in. It's like, I don't believe in. I don't 100% am like... I don't believe in you. <laughs> I don't believe in white supremacy. I mean, like, you know, fundamentally against what they are talking about protesting. Fundamentally, uh, there's the part of me that's like, no. The instinct is like, no. But then there's the other side of me that's like, can I say that if I believe in the right to protest and equality? However... I suppose it would come back to like, is it causing harm? Like, what is it, what is it that's being said that, I mean, it's harmful to a group of people. But then I suppose if you're protesting climate change or you're even doing like something about women's rights, men could be like, that's causing harm to us. So I'm now going a bit down a rabbit hole with my thought mm. process, but that's not an easy one. No, it's not an easy one because of the values that you hold. I mean, I guess I would say that I'm not using that with very much precision, right? Because all white people are white supremacists. <laughs> um, so anytime you all assemble it's uh, (laughs) an existential threat to people around you yes um i'm thinking more of like proud boys and oh but that has like violence embedded in it no as as a fundamental Mm. practice they just were in the trials about the capital capital riots Mm, yeah for sedition a bunch of them were found guilty Mm. seditious acts so (laughs) fuckers yeah it's a bit tricky Because we're basically saying if you agree with what we think is good, then sure, go ahead and like throw paint on that shell station and uh, yeah, lock yourself up um, in the middle of the road. Uh, Yeah, a little bit of damage is, uh, you know, that's just par for the course. But the second it's somebody who doesn't agree with my worldview, I don't want them to do that. And I think that is the hard bit that you're fighting with internally. Yeah. Yeah. If the KKK were like marching down the street, I'd be like, no, 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 no. Go back. Go back. Go back to where you came from. I mean, how much do you read into what that group has done and caused, you know, like... You're talking about your algorithms now, Lauren, because, you know, people wouldn't want Antifa to be protesting because their algorithms tell them that it's a violent movement yeah or their algorithms might say that black lives matter is a violent movement yeah okay fair i'll take it you're just taking it because you don't want to be a white supremacist (laughs) you're just being agreeable with a brown person (laughs) 
but I mean, preventing radicalization. Radicalization is a perception issue, right? When we think about radical, we think about things that are not the status quo. So anything that is against mainstream order is considered radical. It's different. So you can argue that like a protest with a bunch of vegans would be radical and that they've got radical views <laughs> because that's not... I mean, they eat plants. They're living things. That seems pretty Did radical. Did you see the thing about how plants scream? Yeah, we talked about this. Yeah. <laughs> fucking murderers. <laughs> I mean, and then, then I even mentioned about eating spinach again because now that feels really dodgy. But the reason I say this is a perception issue is because it's a fine distinction between radical and extremist and freedom fighter. Yeah. It's a perception, right? And Nelson Mandela, very famously, was called all three over the course of his lifetime. Yeah, it just I depends on that. who you ask and who you talk to. And I think also there is that danger of, you know, the mainstream holding the view of what's acceptable. Yep. You point out veganism that was unacceptable and now is more acceptable. And I'm talking in a it's very still generic unacceptable. <laughs> right. So for certain, yeah. But you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's a. You don't hear anybody describe themselves as having extreme views. Yes. Because you wouldn't believe that. And the circles that you're engaging in wouldn't, you, nobody is like, yes, I have extreme views. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. people are always like, no, I'm fighting for this thing. Like this is okay. the right thing. This is correct. Nobody's like, my, what I think is outside of the margins I mean, of normalcy. Right. Do you know what I mean? Maybe we should try that and see. In the next proposal, I'm going to be like, we're radical. <laughs> We've got radical views. But that's the thing when people talk about like radical feminism and stuff. Yeah. It's not always received very well. I maintain that if public safety is endangered, if people don't feel safe, then you don't have the right to protest. But the problem is, is that's really subjective, right? People's safety is different. I think if an objective observer was like, yes, I also would feel unsafe, then no, you know, bueno. Yeah, I think that's a good way to go. I think when you've got a kind of collision with social cohesion. So, for example, there's a lot of issues in the States with people being bussed over like extreme far right groups importing protesters into different states to like. Wow. Yeah, like insert themselves in a particular community's society. I think when you have stuff like that, it's also kind of a fine line, right? Because you're disrupting social cohesion, but also your perspective, you might say we're showing solidarity for local movements. I mean, I'm thinking about March to Washington. Yeah, <laughs> a bunch yeah. of people gathering together, peacefully walking, you know, that's crossing state lines. It's interacting with other communities and the way that communities organize themselves socially. I think fundamentally how I feel about this is like, if you don't agree with me, I don't want you to gather. <laughs> What? <laughs> that was a bit of a um, an unexpected comment from your public safety comment. <laughs> I'm just sorry. I've just I've like, uh, and maybe this is an extreme view. <laughs> yeah, it's radical view. <laughs> but that, um, but that's real, right? Like, I don't want a bunch of fucking KKK people like gathering together. I don't care what you're doing, even if you're just chilling and vibing in a supermarket. If you're gathering in the Starbucks, there's no threat to public safety. You're not doing anything. You're just in your fucking ghosty outfits. Uh, and I. I still don't want you gathering. Yeah. And I agree to the extent that for me, it's about not the gathering bits per se, but what they've done prior and what that gathering has could is mean. a symbol of and could mean. Yeah. Sure. Right. But the problem is, is that the second, I mean, I hope that governments make decisions that aren't as emotive as the ones I'm making now, right? Mm -hmm. You want people making clear-eyed decisions about what this might mean for different groups. But the problem is, is that when we stop being clear-eyed about who has the freedom 
to protest and who doesn't have the freedom to protest and we don't grapple with these challenging conversations, it's really easy and open to being co-opted by people who then say, okay, my definition of an extreme group or my definition of radical is now what's at play. Yeah. And that's a kind of slippery slope into completely losing the right to protest entirely. I think fundamentally, if everyone should have it, because I don't want to be on the losing side of it. Do you know what I mean? Like everybody should have the right to protest because I don't want anyone to label me as having extreme views and then me not being able to protest. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I think that's sort of how human rights works, right? Everyone has to have the right. Yeah. But I just wish people didn't do like such fucking stupid things with those rights the whole human rights framework has shown to be pretty gray and subjective actually despite the fact it's a framework that we abide by well it has to be ratified doesn't it yeah so it's like a memorandum of understanding it's not legally binding unless you decide it's going to be unless you back it up with a contract indeed okay well this has been really interesting yes i hope we have entertained you yeah and i think this is really showing the complexity of the right to protest what we saw in the coronation different viewpoints how the state reacted yeah the different influencing pieces around that i think the past couple of days in the uk has really challenged perspectives of freedoms and rights to protest mm, i hope so i think everybody enjoyed their bank holiday came back on tuesday got back in the like nine to five grind and has forgotten <laughs> that this was even a conversation to be honest true (laughs) there will be definitely that there'll be people with you know hangovers from the street party yeah but i do think that it's a conversation worth exploring individually right like what are the parameters and ultimately if i could say one thing like i don't have an issue with disruptive protests that's what they're for they're supposed to be disruptive i don't practically have an issue with property damage so long as it's a company that you know can absorb that or like an entity that you know can absorb that damage. The problem with it being stuff that's like taxpayer funded is that eventually it's going to hit people because they're going to have to like pick up that bill. True. Same with like the remnants of protests. Like I cycle past 10 Downing Street nearly every day and there's always fucking flyers just left over in the street. Like pick up your shit. I'm very happy for you to protest. Like put your little signs up. But there's always just shit around. Yeah. For various things. I just kind of think and would encourage like people to still be creative, be what? more creative with their protesting. Like self-emulation. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I was actually thinking about like, ooh, what is chat GPT going to help us do with protesting or AI, artificial intelligence? Yeah. Self-emulation is when you set yourself on fire. Well, So one of the catalysts for yeah. the Arab Spring. Yeah. Or somebody setting themselves on fire. Yeah, I remember. Wow. Okay. That wasn't really where I was going with the creative, but... I mean, it's different. (laughs) Okay. That's a whole other conversation. (laughs) Well... I'm Lauren. I'm Tia. And this is The Journey to Transformation. Yes. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Journey to Transformation. Leave us a five-star rating and a written review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Journey to Transformation is written and edited by us, Tia Rogers and Lauren Burrows. Our music comes from Praz Canal.